Hello and welcome to The Swim Brief. This is a very special Tuesday edition of The Swim Brief. And people who listen, who've gotten into the rhythm of listening to this, you'll know that the Tuesday one is normally the one where it's just me. It's just Chris. Whatever's on my mind, I'm talking into it. It's usually a positive psychology related topic. So something different is going to happen this week. But I think it's going to make the Tuesday podcast even better than it originally was because I got Hannah Barant on. Hannah, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited you're here because, you know, I think we're going to get into a conversation here and you are one of those people in my life that I think, you know, I I am aware of my own tendency on certain subjects to really go down a rabbit hole and like think things through. But I think that's kind of actually also what makes me good at what I, I I do. And you're one of the people who thinks about a lot of the same things. So it's even better to, 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 to do this in conversation. You're somebody that I learn a lot through, like when I just go like, Hey, I've been thinking about this thing. And I just go like, I just rant for 10 minutes. And then you go, but what about this? Or, and like you're my you're my top improv partner, I think, for this kind of stuff. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. How are you? I'm good. I love the rabbit hole expl- exclamation explanation because you know there's a certain train of thought when you're going down a rabbit hole and you've got this idea, and especially if there's like an invisible rabbit that you're trying to chase, whether it's like an answer or a solution, or you just there's something and you can't grab it or you can't see it. But when you have those people in your life that understand how your brain processes and they understand that you're in this rabbit hole and they're either like shining a light or they're just able to kind of go on that journey with you and help you just get to that aha moment. I mean, sometimes you and I are down the same rabbit hole or Sometimes you're down a rabbit hole and I'm down a different rabbit hole. And then we end up somehow helping one another get that clarity or get that aha moment. And to the rest of the world, we look like we're crazy, but we understand that the other person is chasing this rabbit that we, we believe it's there so we can see it. And then everybody else is just yeah. like, yeah, you're, you're crazy because we don't even know where you're at or what you're doing right now, even though you're sitting in front of me. Um, so that, that <laughs> made so much total sense. And I love hearing that because you're also that for me. Yeah. And, and in classic fashion, we've gotten almost three months into, sorry, three months, three minutes into this. And all I did was introduce you, but not who you are. You are the head coach of women's swimming and diving at Cleveland state men's university. And women's. Sorry. Men's, men's and women's. And women's. What well, did I say? Women's. Yeah. You only said one. You forget we're a combined team. No, I don't forget that. I just, (laughs) God, that's so embarrassing. We're going to keep that in the edit. Everybody who's listening, we're not going to edit that. I'd rather that your default was to the women's. Um, I'm okay with that. (laughs) No, but I'm not okay with that. But I just feel, I feel, I feel terrible right now, but I'm just going to, I'm going to move past it. We can do it. So you're, 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 we got women's NCAAs is on tomorrow. So the women's NCAA season, you know, postseason season is about to end. Men's NCAAs is next week. Um, and I think, you know, so some people are just finishing up their seasons, but you're, 
you had your conference championship now. It was four weeks ago. About a month ago. Yeah. About a month ago. And I guess where I want to start is like, give me one headline, like big, <laughs> big rabbit hole, maybe that you went down this year. Like what's one, what's one of your big takeaways? Cause I know you're, you've been sitting here, you've been reflecting, you've been thinking like, what did I learn? What do I know? What do I want to know? Like what, what are you taking away and what are you thinking about as you, as you move on from this season? That's a loaded question. Just ask it one more time so I know exactly which direction I'm supposed to go. Because I've got like five <laughs> answers in my head right now. <laughs> I know. I asked like four different questions and I was like, oh, just go. Um, start with this. What's your big takeaway thing you you learned from this season? My takeaway from... My takeaway from this season was more personal in the regards of learning how to lead myself first and foremost, and learning how to lead others in different ways. Um, mm. So it's not about tell the me team. about tell me about <laughs> it's about yeah. me. Yeah, no, tell me about because I've been on like I I've been vibing on that this podcast for actually people listen like a long time. Like I, I, I feel like I, I've uncovered this whole new world of working on myself as a way to be different as a coach and, and a leader. Um, but like, I'm wondering like, yeah, what, what are you thinking about there? Like in terms of yourself, It kind of comes full circle. I mean, 10 years ago when I was a volunteer at the University of Louisville, um, so I was Arthur's volunteer, Ryan Wakamurka was still on staff that year. Um, and I remember Arthur making the comment to me that he described me as a chameleon, that I am so able to adapt to the surroundings, you know, to the surroundings around me. But at that time, I was able to, even as a volunteer, figure out the strengths, the weaknesses, the holes, the gaps, and how I could morph myself in to fit the need of that team. And mm -hmm. Arthur challenged me about that and said, hey, like you are kind of like this chameleon, but I don't think we've seen who you are as a coach just yet. And kind of cycling in on kind of that 10, 10 years now of that moment as a grad assistant, volunteer assistant, transitioning from division three to big power division one and about to go on this career adventure to Georgetown to Houston and now to now to Cleveland State that sentence is still pretty darn accurate um as as a head coach I just finished up my fourth year and I've had you know a, a few different assistants on staff I've had a you know in that four-year period, you have four different teams that are comprised of different different makeups, right, of people going through the transition into freshman year and just all these different transitions. And you throw in the pandemic and uh, these last four years, I just kept a adjusting, adapting, morphing and thinking about, hey, what are my staff's strengths and how can I fit into them? 
What are mm. my team strengths and how can I fit in and show up for them? And this year, it's been a lot of like learning about myself and how to lead myself and not get led by my emotions or not get led by the emotions of my athletes or led by the emotions of my staff and being able to actually lead myself. And a lot of that was a lot of learning. I mean, I'm 35 years old and just got a diagnosis this year of ADHD. And it's funny, both my parents work in mental health. And when I brought it up to them, they're both like, oh yeah, we've known since you were a little kid. And I'm like, hi, why didn't you say anything? Or, well, because you were so high functioning, you know? And I think that whether you're an athlete or a coach going through these transitions, um, I was so high functioning because in high school, your day is so structured. As yeah. a college athlete, your day is so structured. And what I was majoring in was so structured. And I love school and I love learning that I have figured out how to do all of these things. And then as an assistant, you're really the task manager at that point. You know, you're, you're in the weeds, you're doing everything, but there are a lot of tasks and there's a lot of structure around the practice time, around different deadlines that you've been given. And so I thrived, you know, I thrived in as, as an assistant. And I think through these last couple of years with the pandemic and working remote for that time period, that's when systems kind of fell apart. And I got really overwhelmed with the day-to-day -day type things. And this year, just really learning more about myself and learning how I operate and how I want things to operate and, you know, being able to set those things. And then I guess others can adapt and adjust. <laughs> But being able to put those things in place, um, which I think a lot of coaches, when they take over a program, they're very much so like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing. And I tried a different approach and um, kind of going through the back door to kind of getting those things set up. You know, when you're an assistant and you're working with a coach that's that's either coached as long as you've been alive you know, and they've got these systems in place or not there with them from day one. Um, yeah. so this year has just been, it's like my senior year. I'm in my fourth year. So I feel like I've put this four year time together where I've explored, experimented, tried different things. And this year is kind of that pivotal of looking at the four years and then figuring out the next four years and kind of putting those things in place. So like I'm already doing things differently than I've ever done before. And and frankly, feeling really good about it. I'm like, all right, on to the next four years. <laughs> We're not there yet, but there's a lot to do. So. When you and I met, you were at University of Houston. And I think neither of us were really aware of the way our brains work. You mentioned the ADHD. My, my father um, is a qualification you can have to um, decide this stuff. And, and, you know, he said the same thing to me. He said, you never really like struggled enough. And I think there was definitely an era with, um, with this stuff where people just went like, well, we won't try to intervene in people's lives unless they are mm -hmm. just falling completely flat on their face. And um, I guess where I'm at now is I'm grateful. I'm also like very into the pieces of it, like that already, like there's just so much possibility from thinking this way. I've realized how creative I am, right? Like, 
back that up, my mind goes to all these different places. Like I never thought of myself as creative, but I am creative. Like I, I, my, my mind can come up with in endless possibilities for things that I'm interested in. Like there's literally no limit to my creativity. And like, that's an amazing thing. Um, and I think some of the stuff you, 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 because when I came out of the positive psychology program, yeah. I can remember um, writing about this stuff. Like I, um, so I'd be writing like, yeah, I'm depressed. And she was, she, she would like kind of correct me and she would go, you're feeling depressed right now. And I'd be like, you're so annoying. Like, stop being so annoying. Like I am depressed, but I've started to come around to her, to her in the sense that, you know, like, it's not a quality of me that I'm depressed or I'm not depressed, it's not a quality necessarily of me that I have ADHD or I don't, I have moments where I really struggle to get myself to do what I want. That's, that's really what it is. And I have moments where I don't have to try at all to do something that is incredibly valuable and amazing. And like, I think more than anything, I'm just learning to accept that about myself, right? Mind for the things that where I've gotten with all this stuff is that I realized how hard I was. Um, what about mm -hmm. want to be a little bit of a different, co them coming to you? Hmm. Yeah, you couldn't go hold 101s right now. That will, that didn't work. Yeah. Uh, we're going to um, disagree because I'm listening to you talk through that and I'm going doing that. I mean, how many kids do you have combined between the two teams? How many athletes? Uh, 50. Okay. So let's just say it's 50, roughly 50, 45 to 50. You being a chameleon for 50 people, is that sustainable for you? Were you though? <laughs> I mean, that's worth asking in that question and it actually reveals a lot, but I'll, I'll let you finish. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, I think some of the things that they need to adapt to me are the things that are acceptable and unacceptable, right? Like if you're going to talk about team rules, team expectations, like, you know, I think that's where I run a very different program and I'm not afraid to have conversations about the things that are unacceptable. And if you're not okay with that, well, then you either ship up or shape out. You know, so I think that's Mm. one of those things that you need to adjust to me on is that like, look, this is my program. I am the head coach. And at the end of the day, if I say this, then this is what goes and that's it. Right. I think the area where I differentiate and where coaches should differentiate is based upon how somebody learns, you know, if somebody is visual or auditory or, oh, we, you know, um, <laughs> just, a, I just want to interrupt because their second, second language. when Hannah you know, says she takes notes, it's not what you picture. I talked know, to her last week um, and, and the stuff that she recalls from the first time I came to Houston where I was staring over like just this is the first time we met and you were just furiously like scribbling as we're going like what is this lady doing and by the way like I people who know me know I have a whole spiel about how I I can't take notes and I don't want to take notes and I like I don't really think you're supposed to take notes the things that Hannah can Hannah remembers more about what I've said to her than I than I do you like, know, I mean, my favorite. Like your recall for stuff that we've done together is insane. Houston, that one, I would have to ask a question yeah. <laughs> too. Like, hey, you're holding 102s. Can you hold a 101? And but it would have yeah. to be based in a question. Like I couldn't tell her what to do. Hmm. Um, and so, nope. And it would. I'd have to pose the question to her. The other one, one of them, I'd always have to give yeah. like a super positive reinforcement and then give the challenge. If I didn't give the positive reinforcement, she'd crumble. And then the last one, like, dude, what are you doing? Like, let's go. Like, come on, snap, snap. You know, and they were three yeah. very different. And that was just how to get the best out of them. And to me, that's like, that's good coaching is knowing what makes your athletes tick, what's going on in their life that that may or may not impact what they're doing. That's where me being a chameleon will never change. That is my strength. And that's, that's, you know, differentiating based on learning style, based on, you know, readiness, based on whatever it is that they need. So I think those are two examples of, hey, this is where you're going to adjust to me. And this is where I adjust to you type of thing. So I think that's one example. Um, what is my roster size? Yeah, that's on the high side. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's part of it where, you know, relationships are two-way streets. And when I was a swimmer, I got accused of being my coach's favorite. But I took the ownership. Oh, for sure. 
Let's call him up. Like for sure. Hands down. For sure. But, you know, I would go into my coach's office and I'd sit and have talks and I built that relationship. And if I had a question, I'd ask it. If I was struggling with something, I'd articulate it. So, you know, that that relationship I'd give and it would get given back to me. And it just it became this well-oiled machine. Um, and that's where, you know, I think my coach and my coaches learned my nuances. And, um, you know, I think there is to a degree people who are coachable, right? So if somebody is not coachable and is either, you know, if you're making stroke corrections or you're giving feedback or you're, you know, and you're not getting anything back. Like I might ask that person after practice or I might, you know, try to engage with that person. I mean, I know like you're not going to, no kid, no college athlete, no adult is going to make a stroke change on the spot, right? Like you're trying to make new habits. So you're going to have to keep reminding them. But if somebody's a brick wall and they're not engaging back and I've tried several times and I've tried different approaches and I've tried to talk to them before practice or after practice, after a while, that's energy and time that will get invested elsewhere. You know, so that is something that in my program, like I've tried to educate that level of empowerment, right? Like we sit down at the beginning of the year and I do one-on-one -on -one goal meetings and ask a lot of questions and try to understand um, and put them in that driver's seat. And I'll do kind of like a midterm check-in with them. I'll do a pre-taper meeting. I'll do a post-season meeting. So there's a lot of formal you know, formal structures put in place to be able to do that. I will, I'll take notes, you know, I'll take notes when I'm re recruiting. I mean, my, my recall, my recall is very emotional based. Like I could still remember getting bullied on the playground. I can still remember getting bullied at the swimming pool when I was little. So like, I can remember these very like not good memories in very distinct detail. I can also remember like the most beautiful moments of my life in extreme detail of like the color, the taste, like I can just recall very emotionally, but then my brain is also like this all or nothing thing. So I will, I mean, I've done this in team meetings where the kids think I'm repeating because like sometimes it's to make sure they're listening, but other times it's because I forgot what I said already. Like if it's not emotional, I'm probably not always going to remember it, which is part of why I take notes um, because I don't want important information to get lost. And a lot of people don't understand that about me. And even when I was a little girl, 
I've got stacks of notebooks that go all the way back to elementary school. I still have them from college. Like I have, honestly, I still have in a notebook the interview with Ryan Wakamurka when Ryan first called me to talk about me joining him at Houston and that first conversation. Like, um, that's just, it's just how I, it's how I work. And, but that allows me that ability to differentiate, to individualize, to make sure that people or things are not falling through the cracks. Um, and, you know, I, I think that it's just, it's a different approach. It's a difference between going into a classroom and it's a directive, hey, we're going to learn Pythagorean theorem. Here's the definition. Here's the formula. Here's three examples. Now we're going to do a word problem. But if they forget the formula, they're screwed. Like there's a difference between exploratory of guiding somebody to something and then they own it. So in my program, I really try to get people to own it and meet people where they're at. Um, and it does, it takes time for people to learn that, but a lot of the people that learn it and are able to do it, that's where they thrive and people that want that direct, you know, they probably will do elsewhere and they have done well elsewhere and we've helped them find a different place that might, might fit for them a little bit differently. So I think that is also that people having to morph to me and in the recruiting process, I am very open and honest about who and what I am. So you're not caught by surprise when you get here. So, yeah. Yeah. See, here's where we're different. I played a musical instrument. I played piano, clarinet, alto, sax. So I can't, like, I started piano at the age of five. So I started music at the same time I started swim lessons. So when you're learning music theory and you're using both hands and you've got bass clef on one hand, treble clef on the other, there's so much that you're hearing, you're seeing, you're doing you're literally translating a musical note into a direction on your hands and you've got multiple of them going. I learned that at five. So while I can hear, like I can pay major attention to you, my brain's capacity when I hear music or I'm hearing things is 
all this information. So I think that again is like, whether it's nature or nurture, my brain is just wired very differently. So the writing, I mean, my brain, like while I'm like super focused on you and they always say like, oh, don't think about the response or this or that, like me taking notes, that's what helps me stay focused and not let my brain then go on a tangent to if I hear you talk about something, then I'm like, oh, well, here's an example from the past. And here's this about the present. And here's something about the future. Like there's all of that going on. So if I'm taking notes, that forces me to actually stay a little bit more linear and with the person instead of me time traveling to the past, present and all around. That's right. You were a brass instrument, weren't you? Oh, I was going to judge you. Joking. <laughs> really? Huh. Oh, see, like and my music instructor, like I was one of the few that he recommended go on and be a professional musician because I, but no, like I could, I would conduct the small group. I could hear myself play. I could pick up what the other people were doing. If somebody was ahead of time, off of time, like just. Those are the sound effects that go on in my brain most of the time. Pretty much. Well, that's like the memes of like the puppy, like, oh, you're having a bad day. Do you want whoosh, whoosh, you want some whoosh? Mm. How do you think that translated over to either coaching? When you, when you were coaching in the water, whether it's an individual or a team or in working with other coaches and programs like you do with all of your like consulting, like how do you see that and how you showed up for your athletes or when you're working with clients, either in like an individual or a group setting? For sure.
for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, like a group practice, that's where I'm like, a, it's like you're more, a, you know, a director and it's you're getting everybody to kind of go through this flow of a workout. And how do you get this all to kind of flow through this hour and a half or two hour period? And yeah, there's small little corrections here or there. You're keeping time, you're giving tempos or you know, giving little things, but like, to me, like a practice is not that time for an in-depth conversation. Like, you know, it's, that's where the office time, the before practice, after practice is where like, I thrive in a different way. And a lot of those people that then need that can get that, but it's like trying to understand like, Hey, here's your needs and we're going to get your needs met, but there's a time and a place. And that, I guess that's 
kind of coming back to where we started is like, how can people adjust and adapt to me? Um, like I just, I just have certain core beliefs. Like I don't at a dual meet, I don't give major stroke feedback. Like I just don't, um, to me at a meet it's let's have the meet, let's race. <laughs> it's not the time or the place. It's, it's not one because it's a very, when an athlete has come out of a race, they're very physically and emotionally, like they've had adrenaline, they've had endorphins, they've had their testosterone spiking, they've had, you know, cortisol pumping through their, their body, they've had their heart rate, you know, accelerated drastically. So they're in a high stress state, right? Like swimming, working out is a stress on your body, like your heart rate is elevated, your eyes are dilated, like there's just this different type of, it puts you in a different type of fight or flight type moment just by competing and racing. So you have all these, you're not, you're, you're not. And that athlete has a, not only are they physiologically responding to the fact that they just put themselves through a drag race or a distance race, right? Um, they've got lactic acid, all the things. But then there's the emotional side of, did they have an expectation? Did they meet the expectation? Are they happy, content, disappointed, sad, frustrated, angry, right? And they're going to have these in, these emotional reactions that are happening that your amygdala is completely hijacked. Like they're in an emotional state. And your rational part of the brain is not firing at that point in time. Um, and also as a coach, you have an emotional reaction going on too that you need to filter. You know, um, you might be thinking like, oh, okay, like we've worked on this and we're not seeing it in, in our races. And, you know, so at that point, like when an athlete comes over, there's an emission, like I always just acknowledge how they feel. Like, and I'm talking the emotional feel. I'm not talking the physiological of all oh, I felt heavy in the water. I felt like that was harder than it was supposed to be, right? Like they always say that, but that's not a feeling. Like that's not an emotion. So then it's trying to acknowledge just that and acknowledge and affirm the fact that like, hey, yeah, that felt harder than, well, sounds to me like you've got an expectation of what it should or shouldn't have been. Um, but you know what? You got three more races. So what are we going to do next? You know, so to me, it's always like I'm an emotional manager at that point where it's acknowledging maybe they're really super like happy. That's like, well, great. You got to come back down because you've got to go warm down and get ready for yet another race. So it's managing the highs, managing the lows, managing the meat preparation and operation of how how they're going. Um, and, it, and then, too, if you get into a detailed talk, like regardless of if you're ADHD or not, like, I'm sorry, if you're having a conversation with one athlete, you're missing everything else. Like you just said, you've got your focus on that one person and now you're missing everything else. So, you know, when we're at a meet, I'm it's about emotional management and then it's trying to get the big theme. Like, are we executing race strategies? Are the underwaters coming through? Like, I'm trying to see, like, okay, is there something that as a majority we're doing really well at? Is there something as a majority that we need to address in the next week of practice? If we want to get into the details, well, okay, we can do that on the bus. 
You could do that in the office. We've got all the video. Let's look at that. But it's time and place. So it's just, and I've tried to get my staff to understand that. And that's where it'll get hard if you've got an assistant that isn't on board with that concept and then still goes and does all the technical feedback. Because now if that's something that they are primed to wanting and needing because that's what they got from their high school coach or their club coach, and that's their expectation of what good coaching is, well, they'll circumvent me and then they'll still go have this conversation. I'm like, no, 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 like emotional management, you need to go warm down, you know? And so it's trying to understand trying to get everybody to kind of understand that because the rest of the world doesn't operate that way. A majority of the world doesn't operate that way. Um, and it's just. A, the, the emotional manage, but B, that like technical time is not like, I'm sorry, like you don't do your major coaching at meets. Like this is where you see how things are going. Like, we're not football. We're not basketball. We're not making plays. It's are the training and the big picture things of how do you manage your meat? How do you warm up? How do you warm down? How do you deal with expectations? How do you deal with competition? Like, you know, at that point, you're watching how this is working. And then you're going to try to figure out how you're going to direct and lead for the next week or the next couple of weeks. So I think when you get over coaching to meet, you actually undermine the ability to naturally see where your team is at. I think then you're you just you just miss out on other opportunities of great coaching that can happen later um, by micromanaging those moments at the meet. You're missing out on the more organic things that you need. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Or if you're upset, it's okay to have that. But how are you expressing that? Because like, again, I think like we get told that like, it's not okay to be angry. It's like, yes, it is. It's, but how are you going to express that in a healthy way? Because um, you have every right to how you feel like, but how are you going to express that and, and still move forward um, is the important thing. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and I think like the interesting thing from that too, um, I got this really, my friend told me about this book. It's called the, was it the drummer? The drummer in the great mountain. Is that what it's called? Um, I sent you the podcast from it. Um, yeah. So the book itself, hang on, let me pull this up. The book itself is called The Drummer and the Great Mountain. Um, and then there's also a podcast that goes along with it. Um, but it's a really cool book that I've, I've started to learn more about myself. But there's a chapter that's on managing emotions. And I've told a lot of people about this chapter. I've actually like photocopied pages of it and give it, given it to a couple of my athletes. Because it's like, number one like the feeling, like actually naming, naming how you feel and acknowledging like, Hey, I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. Like naming how you feel actually helps kind of diffuse that feeling just by naming it. But the thing that the book talks about is about needs. So it talks about like, okay. So like the example they give is when somebody's on the highway and somebody cuts them off and like, you get into road rage and you get like the sweetest people that all of a sudden are, you know, swearing like a truck driver or a sailor, right? It's like, well, why does that happen? You know? And the thing that, that he talked about is like, because somebody just put your need of safety at risk. Like in that moment, somebody could have killed you. Like that car could have hit you and you felt not safe. And that made you angry. And so what they talk about is like, especially like if you get like these emotional outbursts, right? Like for you, when you're like, hey, like I do well with just one person at a time and then I get overwhelmed or frustrated and then I get angry. So it's like being able to look at like, when am I having these feelings and is there a common theme? And most of the time it's when a need has either been violated or not met. So that's been really interesting to me and how I show up for my athletes or other ways to get those needs met, whether it's, you know, safety, security, control, um, clarity, you know, and realizing like, Hey, why did I feel so sick to my stomach when I got this email from a coworker, that email from a boss? And I would be like, well, I feel embarrassed or I feel frustrated because I thought I did everything I should. And now I feel like I did something wrong. And then a lot of times where us or anybody feels like they did something wrong, now it gets into their identity. I'm wrong, right? And that comes back to when you talked about like, well, I I feel this or like I'm depressed. No, I feel depressed, right? The Whether it's like athletic identity where our athletes are so wrapped up into their sport that if they do well, they're well. If they are not succeeding they're a failure therefore i'm a failure so i just this just this epiphany of like naming the feeling then naming the need and then what other action items can you do whether it's regarding that situation or other ways to get your needs met right where your self-esteem isn't based upon your product or what you're putting out in the world or your sense of support is it like you're not looking for something that no one else can give you you know, so I think that's, that's been like just this other aha moment in helping 
myself, but then also recognizing when my athletes are word vomiting and talking about things where it's like, okay, so I, you know, I understand that you're really upset right now with your roommates. Like, why do you think you're feeling that way? And, you know, being able to help them understand like, hey, maybe they don't feel safe in their apartment. Maybe they, their self-esteem is, or their self-confidence is being rocked because of some interpersonal, you know, conflict in the locker room or whatever. So it's just, you know, I never would have expected when I got an ADHD book that I'd learn that that would not only help myself, but then also help all my athletes that may or may not have ADHD. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
Mm -hmm. I haven't seen her in a long time either. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, I was just trying to think of like, if you were to sum this up in a tagline, like, oh good, because I can never sum things up. Um, Yeah. Because otherwise they wouldn't have written the book. Um, gosh. See, I don't think, I, I literally have a, what? Yeah. So I'm trying to think. This is literally what is by my bed, and it's all books. Um, so since you mentioned, like, your favorite book you're reading right now, so I have The Drummer in the Great Mountain, which is the, the ADHD book. I'm currently working through um, Lisa Guerrero's Warrior, My Path to Being Brave, um, which I'm really excited about. I mean, she just... There's a lot of like her journey in the profession that she had that like has resonated with me. So women coaches out there, women athletes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, there's the why it matters. That's by my bedside table. Um, that's a good one. Um, this is actually a really cool book. It's how to carry what can't be fixed. It's a journal for grief. Um, but the reason why I bought it, I bought it at the end of the pandemic because I think a lot of us struggled with the idea that the college year, the swim season life wasn't what it was going to be anymore. 
And so I think we were all actually kind of grieving life as it is. So for any coach or athlete that, you know, it could be like a, my favorite story, which I'm going to share is my first year taking over at Cleveland State. Um, you know, I had seniors on the team that hadn't gone best time since they were in high school. And so we get to the conference meet and one of my guys who he was a 2IM hunter back, tuner back guy. Okay. So the 2IM was his third event and he made finals, had lifetime bests, but like, that was just like the fun event for him. And he was just like, so excited about what was going to come the next couple of days. And so the next day he goes a lifetime best and he's really excited, but he got the horrible 17th place and he was so angry. He threw like a metal, you know, those metal water bottles, like he threw it. I mean, he could have hurt somebody with that thing. And he was like swearing and stomping and screaming. And me being me, I yelled at him and I go, hey, like, no, that's unacceptable. And, but I followed him down the pool deck and we get to the corner of the pool and he's like standing by the warm down pool and he's crying. And he goes, F you, Hannah, you made me care about swimming again, but it wasn't good enough. My best wasn't good enough. And I go, you're right. You're grieving. You're a senior. That's your last hunter backstroke ever. Of course, you're going to be upset, but it's not acceptable to throw stuff. Like, it's just not. I said, but you do need to warm down. Like you take whatever time you need. Like if you need to go to lunch with your family and you need to go in the locker room and you need to, you can cry and scream in the water. Nobody's going to hear you. Like if you need to get this out of your system, you're going to be pretty tired after that. But like you're grieving, Right. And I said, but you do need to work through this because I guarantee a teammate's going to need you at some point. At some point, you can be there for a teammate. I don't know when, I don't know what, but you know, you're, you're going to be there for your teammate. So you've got to do what you got to do. So that night, if you look at any of the photos from the team, man, he had the team iPad and he was like just, you know, screaming and yelling and was just all in for the team. So the next day, to her backstroke, this time he comes over and links arm with, arms with me. And we watch the results and he gets like 17th place again, but he gets a best time. And he's like, guess what? I don't have to warm down. I go, you're right. You don't have to warm down. But, you know, and we talked about it. We hugged. He said, man, that's my last winter backstroke ever. Like I had a best time and I'm really okay with this. And in the next moment, one of his teammates who was a senior fall started in the 100 free. But it was like a DQ after the race. So the D goes up on the board. He's a senior. The time he swam would have gotten him first in prelims. And this guy rushes over my entire men's team, embraces him as he comes off the bulkhead because he's pissed and he's crying because he got DQ'd as a senior. And I just watch the team corral around him. And, you know, like, yes, we got to do our X's and O's. Yes, you do the swim brief. And, you know, there's a lot of that. But I think some of that emotional intelligence, emotional um, regulation, stuff like that. So, like, I actually, I had, a, you know, I've had an athlete that had a medical DQ that will never be able to swim again. I was like, hey, like, I think you should get this book and you can go through the grief that you don't get the rest of your college swimming career. Like, you're done. Like, that sucks, you know. So, um yeah, I think this was a good stuff.
Oh, for sure. 